bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. Another day to breathe the air you've given us, to see, to hear, to be able to sit in front of your word as it's taught without interruptions. Help us not take any of these blessings for granted and life itself, Father. And most of all, Father, we thank you for the greatest grace gift of all when you gave up your son for us on the cross. When you took all of our sins away through him so that whoever trusts in him will be saved eternally. Father, help us always remember your grace in our lives, especially because of that event 2,000 years ago. We ask that you bless this message, have your spirit guide us and teach us, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Remember, don't forget the grace the Lord your God has shown you, part two. Um, I hope Sunday was, was a good reminder for all of you. Um, obviously, it was what the Spirit wanted us to go over. Um, for some of you, it might have seemed like a review. For some of you, it might have been a wake-up call. Because we see the warning throughout Scripture, the warning on the board stated both ways. You know, remember the Lord your God and what he's done for you, and don't forget. <clears throat> and there's a reason, obviously, for everything the Holy Spirit inspired. So let's just start this way again. Take a moment to recall the sins that you've committed throughout your life that he forgave you of and even delivered you from. And take a moment to remember the times in your life that he saved you. I hope maybe some of you went home on Sunday and thought about the times that it maybe even saved you from death, literal death situations or very dangerous situations of um, injury or whatever. Because I think we all have them <clears throat> if we take the time to remember things that we should not have been saved from that were supernatural. Um, the Spirit's basically saying avoid the trap of forgetting the kindness and the mercy of God that he's shown you over the years. Because as we get in our, into our routines, you know, we could have something wonderful happen last week where we know it was God, we know it was supernatural, and then a week later we forget. We're so horrible. And that's part of our flesh, you know, on the board as we talked about this on Sunday. One of the curses upon mankind as part of the sinful nature we were born with, is to forget the goodness of God in our lives. I mean, you got to remember, the flesh hates God. The flesh is so selfish. The flesh wants to blame God. And so, you know, be on the alert. So when that happens in your soul, you know where it's coming from. You know, sometimes we let things fester in our soul or build in our soul. Well, we should be cutting it off and saying, oof. I'm not going to accept that lie. I know where that's coming from. So <clears throat> don't let the flesh trick you into forgetting the goodness of God in your life, uh, including specific things that he saved you from. And, you know, if we do forget, then that's where we let pride creep in. 
and our pride starts to take credit for the good things about us, the good things that God himself gave us, it's amazing what we do. Um, one day we'll say, oh, Lord, thank you for this talent you've given me. But a week later we'll be like, boy, I'm pretty good. You know, no one else can do it like I can do it. It's, it's, it's a crazy phenomenon that happens because the flesh is so influential if we don't check it constantly, which is why we're here learning the word every day. But the flesh truly is ridiculous. You know, it's, <laughs> it's sometimes indescribable. If we knew, if we even knew the ways our flesh was trying to deceive us or influence us, I think we'd be shocked. I think we don't see all these things. We don't um, put them together necessarily or recognize them. So we were encouraged on Sunday to start the day off right, the only way to start the day, really, which is to thank God for our very lives. Regarding God's grace, every morning we should wake up and say, Lord, thank you for another day to be alive. My life is crazy right now, or I don't feel good right now, but thank you for just letting me be alive another day. And thank you for granting me the gift of eternal life. There's a great check in the morning to our flesh. A great way to um, start the day off right and uh, not give in to some thoughts that might be going through your head right when you wake up in the morning. Let's face it, right? How many of you have like woken up in the morning and you still remember the dream you were just in, which was a wacky dream? And now you've got this half dream still in your head because you're a little foggy. And, and then you start thinking negative thoughts about something or this thing was crazy and why, how did that happen in the dream? So, you, you know, we let it roll, right? And so we nip it in the bud by stopping ourselves and saying, hey, whoa, I'm breathing. I'm still breathing. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. Thank you for eternal life being a gift because I know how bad I am. And there you go. You're on the right foot. So this is actually on the board. It's really a state of mind that we should have as God's children. Like all the time, we should have this. Well, we're not perfect. We won't always. But when we don't have this attitude, we're actually out of line. We're actually remiss and too focused on ourselves. So we check ourselves. So we go back to the basics and we thank God for life itself. If you think about Paul's letters, there were many times Paul expressed gratitude by remembering all that the Lord saved him from. Many times. Um, you know, I don't know if there was a, a person in the Bible more grateful than Paul, more uh, aware of God's grace, more thankful for God's grace. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 1. We'll just look at one example of this. 1 Timothy 1.12. But Paul remembered all that the Lord saved him from, and it was a lot. And that humility was a great asset to him. He didn't forget the depths of his sin that God saved him from. So here's one example in 1 Timothy 1.12 of how Paul remembered God's grace. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, if God can save me, he can save you, right? And Paul, as we know, had a, hor a horrible past. And then look what Paul does in verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul doesn't forget to praise God for his grace. May we all imitate Paul's faith. Because this is the faith of a fellow sinner who didn't forget God's grace toward him. As mature as he became, as, uh, as important as his position was in the church, his job, his duties, all the blessings he received from God, he never forget where he came from, what God saved him from. We also saw on Sunday how God in his grace warns us ahead of time because he knows us so well. He knows exactly where we're going to fail. He knows exactly the trap we're going to fall into. So ahead of time, he warns us in the scripture. On the board, God in his grace warns us as a good father would do and disciplines us at times as a good father would do so that we don't lose our way and forget him. That's the key, I think, so that we don't lose our way and forget him. Listen, we start to stray off very easily, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. Our minds wander. We start to forget God even when we don't realize that we are forgetting him. We don't realize we're heading down that path. And so God uses discipline to check us, you know. He uh, warns us through the scripture, through, through our pastor, whatever. He's constantly checking us because he knows where this little teenager will not look at anything and follow anything. Okay? I mean, let's be real. I mean, that's where most of us are spiritually, even though we don't want to admit it. So God warns us and disciplines us at times so that we don't lose our way and forget him, becoming proud in our heart, buying the lie that we are something without him and that we don't need him every day, as in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn again to Deuter Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to revisit a few passages from this beautiful chapter we read. And I encourage you to, you know, when you need a refresher, just go read the whole chapter and see all the lessons in there. I mean, it's a really wonderful chapter and like a dissertation on how God deals with his children, really. I mean, what father wants to see his children lose their way? No, no, no good father wants to see the children go astray. So from that perspective, we can see that God's disciplining us out of love, even when we don't see the exact reason why at the time. So, again, the Jews had this problem, and, and the Lord warned them in advance. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Some of you are saying that would be great for just six months, right? 40 years. They didn't need new clothes. Their, their feet held up wandering around the desert, walking around the hot desert sand. 
and they basically forgot, you know, gee, how, well, how come we haven't needed new clothes? How come we haven't had that problem with our feet? And God had to remind them of his grace. Look at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. In other words, don't forget. It's my grace that these crops are so plentiful and you're in the land of milk and honey. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So there we see again, really what's a gracious warning from God. And jump to verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God, And go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. So there are consequences too. To being a rebellious teenager, maybe we should say. Letting our eyes wander away from the giver of life. And turn one more time to Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. So we must remember God is gracious in his warnings. And God is even gracious in his discipline. Deuteronomy 4.9 Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. We noted on Sunday, it's our God-given responsibility as part of the free will that God gave us to keep our soul diligently. So we don't forget God's grace in our lives and fall for the lies of the world. Uh, The word for keep, you see where it says again, keep your soul diligently on the board. The Hebrew word is shomar, and it means properly to hedge about as with thorns. To hedge about as with thorns. So we're told to keep our souls diligently. In our day and age, we might think about putting up a barbed wire fence around our soul, protecting it from the enemy without. But either way, this is what we're told to do, to keep, to put a hedge about our souls. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, you know, or how might we put a hedge about our souls? to protect us from the deceit, from the enemy that's always attacking, the fiery darts included. So this begins with the right attitude and the right perspective of how vigilant we should be in protecting our souls. You know, sometimes we take these things um, too lightly. For example, we can watch whatever we watch, right? Whatever we want to watch on TV or whatever. Uh, We can listen to whatever we want to listen to. 
and we think that we won't be affected. We get a little bit arrogant. We think we're strong or we think we're smart. So is that the wise way to live? Or is God saying, listen, you're not as smart as you think you are. Put a hedge up. You know, why are you allowing these things in that can possibly harm your soul and make you forget about me and lead you off the path? And one day you might, you know, be so lost, you won't actually come back. You know, it's like protect your soul now. Be diligent now. So that's the description the Spirit's giving us to guard our souls so we're not swayed or persuaded away by the world. So on the board, regarding a good father, God will hold each of us accountable as any good father would hold his son, whom he has blessed with great blessings, accountable. Again, God will hold each of us accountable as any good father would hold his son, whom he has blessed with great blessings, accountable. And we lose sight of the great blessings. We're like, what great blessings? And we think money. <laughs> we think stuff. And then, because we don't take the time to remember. <laughs> we don't take the time to remember, to pray, to sit back and recall all the wonderful things God's done for us, saved us from, given us, especially spiritually, especially truth, especially good friends or family or, you know, those that love God to be by our side and that don't judge us. I mean, how many things do we have good in our lives that we take for granted and we don't stop and recall? So we do have all these great blessings. And if we stop and open our eyes, we see them. And then we say, oh, yeah, well, God's given me these and he is going to hold me accountable. In other words, am I wasting them away and ignoring them even? And living my own life for myself and therefore requiring God to take some action in my life, to wake me up again. God's a good father. He's going to hold us accountable. Thank God for that. Or we'd all basically destroy ourselves, you know, without him restraining us. So may we never become like the Jews who after many years forgot all of God's goodness upon them. And that's why we're here doing what we're doing right now, studying the Word. As the Spirit's been reminding us over and over, the daily eating of the Word of God is one of the safeguards against forgetting God's grace in our lives. I mean, I don't know how, if you've ever gone, if you're a regular student of the Word of God and you've ever gone a couple weeks without listening, for whatever reason, the vacuum in your soul that's created, the, the uh, emptiness, the way your mind shifts towards the world a little bit more. Um, and, you, and you're hungering. As a believer, you're hungering for truth and grace and to hear these things again. Well, that's a good sign. But the Word of God keeps us in check so we don't forget the grace of God. And another safeguard might be prayers like the one we saw in Proverbs 30. So go again to Proverbs chapter 30. A prayer like this is quite a perspective. And in this case, it's a perspective on wealth in this world. And this can be another wonderful safeguard. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Like the Jews did, right? Who is the Lord? i got all this riches now. Look at me. Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Again, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That's a perspective that can uh, rescue us from deception in the world. So we should pray to the Lord. And this is where prayer is so important. We need to ask God for help with these things every day. You know, we know how weak we are. We need to ask him, you know, I don't want anything in my life that will take my attention away from you. Keep me from the curse of forgetting your grace. Keep me from the curse of forgetting all the things you saved me from. God is the one who is able to keep us on the narrow path. If we're humble. If we turn to him in the the first place. Only he is able to keep us on the narrow path. So we must rely on the word. We must rely on the spirit. Or we will be led astray. So on the board, yes, the Spirit's talking to you. When we forget the Lord and how he saved us by his grace, we begin to cheat on God with the world. And we're all guilty in some way to some degree. No doubt, probably till the day we die, unfortunately. But God's taken us places, remember. He's getting us closer and closer to him as we persist in following him. We're all guilty. So right now, don't think of others that fail here. Think of yourself. It's real easy to look at this point on the board and think of a person that we you know, hope changes their course, let's say. But we all fall into this category. So when we forget the Lord and how he saved us by his grace and maybe all the things he saved us from, we begin to cheat on God with the world. And in my mind, it's like a one-to-one correlation. It's like the more we forget, the more we cheat. In fact, the only reason we cheat on God with the world is because we forget His grace and don't appreciate it. But the more we appreciate His grace and remember His grace and thank Him for His grace, the less we want to go cheat on God with the world. So they're like lockstep, you know? Um, So just... That's why this little teaching here is so important. When I say little, I mean, you know, it's only two lessons here. But about not forgetting the grace of the Lord and that he's already shown you and done for you. We very easily walk outside the hedge, that fence, if you will, that we put around our soul, and we frolic with the deceivers in the world. We're very easily taken. And it's because of forgetting On the board, yes, you, when we forget the depths of hopelessness the Lord has taken us from, we get puffed up and lose our way. So, take measures to not forget. I mean, like, do you have a spiritual plan of attack in your own life? Have you even stopped to think about that? What's my my plan? What's my strategy? Do I have one? Or am I just floating day to day? 
So if God's given you the wisdom through the word and the spirit to take some measures to protect your soul, ask yourself, what might he want me to do? Ask the spirit. Show me what you want me to do to take measures to not forget your grace. Like praying. How do you want me to pray? Do you want me to pray any differently, Lord? When? Like hearing the word. Am I, am I doing what you want me to do? Is there, is there another way I should be taking in the word? Is, uh, am, I, am I taking you for granted right now with that? Change my perspective. Uh, listening to the spirit in your life and the convictions he's given you. Take measures to not forget the depths of the hopelessness that he's rescued you from. Design your lifestyle in a way that you better protect your soul. And the idea that comes up pretty simply is television. All right, so just one simple example. If TV is your best friend, whom you hang out with hours upon hours a day, could there be something wrong? Now, you know, don't get me wrong. If you're sick, if you're not working for whatever reason, it's very, very easy to press the button and be kept company by this thing called TV as though there are real people right there in the room with you. And we're on automatic pilot, aren't we, sometimes? We walk in the house, as pastors mentioned in the past, bing, almost like just have some noise in the house with you, some company. But is that wise? How many messages are circulating into your soul from that, even if you're not actively watching it? So, you know, I'm not being judgmental here in any way. I'm just saying, just take an honest look at it and say, if, if TV is my best friend, what am I doing? Is that protecting my soul? Is that putting a hedge up at all? I mean, should, there should be some hedge up, right? <laughs> Not like turn everything on and just listen to everything and whatever and uh, let Satan get the best of you. Design your lifestyle in a way to protect your soul better. Ask God to show you what you need to do because every one of us is different in this room. Obey the Lord when he calls and remember where the Lord has rescued you from. These steps, putting this hedge up around your soul, it'll end up making you happier, by the way. Go figure even though your flesh doesn't think it will, it will because you're going to spend more time with him and more appreciation of grace and therefore more peace. So on the board, remember that God gave us a memory for a reason. He wants us to remember him always. Why did God give us a memory? Is it fair to say the primary reason is to remember him and his grace and his son and that he's the giver of life, he's our savior, and he's also our sustainer. God gave us a memory for a reason. God's like, here's what I want you to remember. I don't want you to remember the, the movie you saw five times and quote the lines from it, okay? <laughs> That's not why I gave you a memory, in other words. I gave you a memory for me, for my word, so that you can, you can go to this and say, you know what, I... Remember that verse now. I read that chapter over again. I remember that lesson now. You know, you can recall it to mind. How many times does the Bible use a phrase like that? Recall it to mind.
He wants us to never forget the mud pit he rescued us from. Again, keep going back to the origin of your situation as a member of the human race born in sin. Keep going back to that. You remember how horrible you were? Do you remember how confused you were? The only one probably doesn't remember is DJ because he doesn't. He grew up with it and he doesn't remember when he became a believer. Uh, but for those of you that entered adulthood or even teenage years before accepting Christ, you know where your soul was in terms of being lost, confused, um, scared, whatever. And just remember that hopelessness that he rescued you from. That's where it all starts. And then it'll be easy from there out, there out every day. Go again to Ezekiel 16, verse 4. And this gives us, again, that nice graphic picture of where we were before God saved us by grace. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but again, jump around here a little bit. Ezekiel 16, 4. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. By the way, how helpless is a baby? The ultimate in helplessness, right? I was thinking about this earlier today, like, can't even drink water on his own, right? Can't get water for himself. Can't protect himself. Can't, you know, hide. Can't do anything. Protect himself from the sun, eat. And so that's a great picture of all of us as sinners without God. Verse 5 again. No, I looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For you were abhorred on the day you were born. And here he's talking about Israel as a nation and how everyone hated them. And just plug yourself right in there as a sinner who was lost in this world. Verse 6, the Lord says, When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Look at verse 11. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and, and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame. We might say in our day and age, your fame went to your head, right? You trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame. And you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes, made for yourself high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. 
You also took your beautiful jewels made of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. And in verse 22, Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. That's us before salvation. On the board, again, the Spirit's calling us to always remember the hopeless place God rescued us from. If we go back all the way back there and start there, we're going to be in good shape. And we'll be able to remember all the grace that flowed even after that day of rescue, let's say. But that's a wonderful place to be, you know. It's a place of humility and mourning when you go back and remember those things. And that's a good thing because it brings about humility. You and I were left for dead by the world on the side of the road. And God didn't have to do anything about it, but he did. And he came and got our attention. He came and convicted us. We were all born under judgment, righteously condemned in the sin of Adam and unable totally to help ourselves, just like that baby on the side of the road, unable to do anything to save itself. But then God came in at just the right time, even preparing our hearts before he personally approached us and convicted us about our sin and his son. That'll be fun one day when we get to heaven. If God will show us the things, the, the way he prepared our heart even before salvation, the things he did, the, the influences he gave us, the convictions he gave us, and some of them we might be able to recall now if we take the time, but to see all the ways he reached out to us in grace is going to be something. So on the board, regarding God's grace again, how evil it is, to forget our very life and breath only exists by the Lord. Satan would love us to forget this each and every day. Our very life and breath, when you wake up and breathe in the morning. And that's, that's what should lead us into celebrating life. Like when we wake up and we're able to thank God for our very breath, that should make us say, wow, I'm alive, and, and you, know, you know, the details of life aren't going great right now, but I'm alive, and I'm saved, and I don't even care about the details. I mean, I'll do what i got to do in life, but I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm alive. I shouldn't even be breathing. I still got people that love me. I still have a church. I still have a pastor. I still have uh, so many provisions. And just go about your day. Again, it's a perspective shift. How evil it is to forget, though, the very life and breath that we have only exists by the Lord. So make up your mind to glorify God in your body. Because of this truth on the board, make up your, what else are you going to live for? Who else would you want to live for? Wouldn't you live for the one who gave you life and breath? And so make up your mind on the board in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
It's that simple. You've been bought with a price. You've been rescued from the slave market of sin by the blood of the perfect one. So what else is there to say? Glorify God in your body while you're here. So regardless of what life brings, you're alive. So glorify God in your body day by day for the sake of Jesus Christ. Go to Psalm 103, verse 1. Glorify God in your body for the sake of Jesus Christ. When you think about what He did for you, how He had you personally in mind at the cross, how He was judged for every single sin you would ever commit in your entire life, do it for Him. Psalm 103, 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. And by the way, this whole chapter is beautiful to read later on, but a lot of it is talking talking about blessing the Lord, praising the Lord, thanking the Lord. And on the board, we saw the word bless is Barak in the Hebrew. It means to kneel by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. Might we say, remember to bless the Lord for his grace blessings. Remember to praise him for all the benefits he's given you. And that also takes remembering from where you've fallen. If, if we don't remember, and this is why maybe the Spirit's, maybe why the Spirit's been, keeps going back to this here. If we don't remember all he saved us from, we won't remember to bless him and kneel to him in adoration. Right? When we forget, when we forget his kindness and his mercy toward us, for example, we, we are going to forget to bless him or that we should bless him or that we should kneel to him in adoration. On the board in Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deed you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. So you see the core of the problem is pretty much stated right here. Why, why, do, why do we leave our first love? We forget from where we've fallen. We forget what he saved us from. We forget. We get arrogantly <laughs> misremembering. I don't know why that phrase came up. But we, we, it's almost like we choose to not remember. We, choo- we choose not to take the time to remember because we're so occupied with ourselves. We're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm saved. That was back then, Right? And now I'm at this point in my life now, and I'm in a good place, so let me, you know, do what I think is best for me. And we can even do that in the spiritual life, forgetting the grace we've been shown, where we've fallen from. So we must repent. You know, that's why the Bible calls us to repent, even as believers. 
we must admit our guilt and turn back to Him in humility and remember all the grace He showered on us over the years. All the times we should have been severely disciplined, let's say, and we weren't. We forget so quickly. And on the board in Revelation 3.3, the same reminder. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. We left off on Sunday talking about our enemy ship, the state we were in before God elected us to salvation. And the scriptures are clear. We were all sinners and therefore all enemies of God. You're like, I never hated God. You know, you might say that to yourself, but that's not the issue. You were a sinner and therefore at odds with God, an enemy, a rebel. So on the board, God's grace, God reached down and saved us while we were enemies. That should be the root of all our remembrance of God's grace. That should be where we start as we praise him, as we bless him for his grace. Romans 5, 6 through 10 and Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, for example. That's part of living in the gospel reality right there recalling the depths that God saved you from. I mean, enemy is a strong word. And yes, you, we're talking about you. Don't look at me. How does an enemy who rightfully should have been destroyed forget the grace and mercy he's been shown? The flesh is so disgusting. But we're all guilty. We're all enemies of God at one point. And if now we're saved, how do we possibly forget that he should have forgotten about us, condemned us, cast us away from him forever and ever and ever? Could there possibly be a greater thing to forget? Turn again to Ephesians 2 verse 1. Hopelessness is a word that really sums it all up, I'd say. And that's why we need the word every day so we don't take these things for granted. Ephesians 2.1 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Children of wrath. You, you, you were a child of wrath. Whoa. Even the sweet little old ladies that think, you know, <laughs> they never sinned. Child of wrath in God's eyes, because God's perfect. And recall the warning we received from the Spirit for several lessons now on the board about our wretchedness. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And as the Spirit reminded us on Sunday, this was said to the church. 
So we're called to a daily repentance. Only turning to Christ with a humble heart can rescue us from such wretchedness. This is like a habitual thing, right? To get out of the sin, get out of the flesh, not allow ourselves to, you know, run with that. And to keep turning to Him for advice, for guidance, for power. Only turning to Christ with a humble heart can rescue us from such wretchedness, even experientially after being saved. So back to Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So the Spirit encouraged us to think from this perspective on Sunday on the board. Remember his grace. We're part of the miracle of God, whereby only God in his power and grace can convert the enemy, the ungodly, to a friend of God. He had to do all the work for that to be possible. And we're part of that miracle. But again, look at verse 5. Even when we're dead in our transgressions, how does God make a dead man alive? Well, there's no other way besides God, right? (laughs) Even when we're dead in our transgressions, enemies of his, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jump to verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That's a miracle of grace that we should be thankful for every day because we were excluded. We were enemies. We had no hope and we're without God in this world. On the board, remember His grace. Is there anything we should be more grateful for, formerly being outcasts and excluded from God's people, to being grafted into the vine in Romans 11, and being adopted fully by grace as a child of God, a child of the living God? Is there anything we could possibly be more grateful for? when eternal condemnation is what we deserved. So go back to the basics. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the root, the horrible, ugly, helpless place you came from. And then everything else is easy. 
Remembering the rest of His grace is easy. So back to our beginnings as an enemy of God. Go to Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5, 6. I mean, it's like Paul, how he appreciated how much God saved him by because he was such a nasty person, the foremost of all sinners. So he appreciated grace that much more, right? If, you, you know, if, if we were able to say, well, I was already a pretty good person and God only needs to save me this much or forgive these, this few sins, then there's no real appreciation there, right? There's no real um, great need of appreciation. But when you realize the truth and go back to the hopelessness, that appreciation should become much fuller. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's like Paul in that other verse when he, said, when he says, you know, praise to the king, eternal, immortal, right? Well, look, verse 11, not only this, we're going to exult in God. We're going to rejoice. We're going to praise his name. We're going to bless his name. We're going to kneel in adoration, whether physically or spiritually. We exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's remembering God's grace. So, as we begin to close, have you lost sight of God's kindness toward you personally? Have you lost sight of his mercy that you don't deserve? Do you exult in God each and every day? Do you stop and praise his name because of the results of verses 5 through 10? Do you bless the Lord each day and forget none of his benefits? Or do you forget some of his benefits? It's between you and the Lord, my friend, and the Spirit is just reminding all of us to pause and to make this part of our daily walk. On the board, again, remember his grace. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received peace with our eternal God and Creator. Like perfect peace, folks. No enmity, nothing between us anymore. A peace none of us deserved. In fact, we all deserve death, eternal separation from God. So rejoice in that grace, that ridiculous, complete, perfect thing that He did. As a reminder, the Bible teaches that we are totally helpless to make our own peace with God. On the board, we are helpless without grace. 
totally 100% helpless. Just like a dead man, just like a baby on the side of the road, unable to care for itself in any way whatsoever. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1, totally 100% helpless. We could not do anything to please a perfect God, despite what some religions will tell people. We were born dead in our sins, and as the Spirit's been saying to us, how can a dead man do anything effective? He can't do anything effective. And what greater gift to remember than being saved from eternal death? So the Spirit's encouraging us not only to remember the easy expressions of God's grace, but also the tough expressions of it, and to think of those things as good and loving. So as we leave today, hopefully we each individually, yes you, make your own decision to remember all of God's grace in your life. Not some of it, you know, not the parts that are convenient or the one that happened yesterday that's easy to remember, that we remember all of God's grace. The recent stuff and the origin of our salvation, the depths of our sin and the easy stuff and the tough stuff. Uh, we have a Heavenly Father that loves us, and all things are allowed in our lives for our ultimate good. And that takes faith. And the Spirit wanted us to go back to Deuteronomy 8.16. One more time, go back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 16, as we close. This was kind of a last-minute throw-in by the Spirit um, earlier, because... Maybe just as that reminder that he wants us to believe, he wants us to have the faith of a child that my father, whatever he does or allows in my life is for my ultimate good. Even though I don't like it, even though it makes no sense, it's for my ultimate good. That's my God. So in Deuteronomy 8.16, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. All forms of God's grace is for our ultimate good from a perfect Heavenly Father. And one day when we get to heaven, we'll see it all. We'll understand it all. But for right now, he wants us by faith. I'm doing this for your good in the end. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for the perfect wisdom of your word and your spirit guiding us and, and emphasizing what we need to know right now at this point in our lives. Father, we ask that you help us remain humble, that we turn to you for guidance each and every day, and that we turn to you every day in thankfulness praising you for our very life and breath. Father, we ask that you help us take these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. And we ask for traveling mercies on the ride home. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your Spirit. Amen.